This is Amateur Logic 71 for October 15th, 2014, our ninth anniversary. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. Save $50 off any IC7200 with a custom paint job when you use the coupon code ALTV7200 by November 30th, 2014. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM and the 50th Anniversary Limited Edition Radios. Welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 71. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's our ninth anniversary. Boy, it's, does it seem like nine years, Tommy? It does not. It, it seems like three or four, really. Well, it seems like about ten years tonight alone to me. Yeah. After all the problems <laughs> we've had. Yeah, we've hit a few roadblocks getting started. Well, we, we've got a, a number of things going on tonight. We're going to be giving away our ninth anniversary contest ultimate mobile setup tonight. Tommy, I know you're ready to get that rig out of the front of you there. It's only because it's teasing me. Teasing you. Yeah. It's calling your name. Yeah. <laughs> Just one question. Is the car included? You know, have you looked in Walmart yet? To see I, no, I did not see a car like that. I, I haven't. I'll be honest. I haven't really looked. Of course, we got the live stream going tonight, and there's uh, some of you in there watching that. We only stream live when we're actually doing something live. When which we're is, actually live? Yeah, when we're actually live. So that's at live.amateurlogic.tv. If you go there and we're not streaming, well, it'll tell you we're not streaming. Yeah, save the save the link, because uh, we always post it ahead of time anyways. Yeah. And there's also a chat room, amateurlogic.tv forward slash chat. That's right. I want to hang on to that one, too. That one never changes. That's right. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I've, I've been at Pacificon this week. Uh, had a big time out there. At, well, both Petaluma and Pacificon. It's been an interesting uh, few days here. I'm sleep-deprived. <laughs> I've been hanging out with Ray Novak for the past half week. And Randy. And, and Randy, and to compound that, Bob and Gordo, too. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty well. I've heard you've been uh, a vicious rumor that you've been to, I think, In and Out Burger. Yes, and you know, I, I've got to say something about that. I, I, I almost felt like I was going to have to do a retraction or something. Uh-oh. Because Ray and I ate at In and Out uh, Wednesday at lunch. And uh, I didn't really specifically order it like I normally do. And they put some cooked onions on it. And I got the burger, and it just... It just really didn't do it for me, man. Oh, man. I, oh, yeah, it didn't do it for me Talk at all. Talk about a letdown, right? Quite a letdown, especially after all the free publicity I've given Yeah, I know. But uh, fortunately, Gordo's buddy Tracy was there, and they went and got lunch for us yesterday because uh, Bob, Gordo, and I, and Randy as well, had forums to do Saturday morning at Pacificon, 
And Tracy went to In-N-Out Burger to pick us up something, and I told him I wanted a double-double. And lo and behold, he totally redeemed them. He, oh, wow. Oh, man, it was one of the best In-N-Out Burgers I've ever had. Because somebody paid for it? Not on, well, no, I actually gave him $5, <laughs> okay. but I, I think I came out ahead on the deal. And uh, Randy That's and I... Point. Pardon me? Is there, is there an In-N-Out Burger in Mississippi? No. No, you got to drive to Dallas. Mm. Okay. Yeah, five guys. We don't. Yeah, we don't have them in Melbourne. At least I don't think so. Not yet. Oh no, no, you don't. They're they're not even across the U.S. yet. They've only started expanding toward the east in the last few years. Well, once upon a time, it was pretty much only California and uh, a couple of other locations. Vegas. Yeah, there's one in Arizona. Yeah, but uh. And so, what makes them so good? Uh, well. Maybe the next time we're swapping food, if we can, uh, if we can get somebody to ship one to you in a uh, hermetically sealed container or something. You know, I went to one in Kingman, Arizona, one time for work. I wasn't that impressed with it. I mean, it was it was pretty good fast food burger, but it just wasn't outstanding to well, me. Well, apparently, I don't know if it's the location or if it's the day you go, but I've I've noticed a shift. But when they got it right, man. When it's right, it's really Bam. right, huh? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like yeah, it's good. <laughs> and I also went to Fry's. Uh, Randy and I uh, got together and rode by Fry's. It's the same one I was at last time out there near uh, Stanford. It's it's one of the older ones. I didn't buy much. I just bought a little pack of uh, 20 push-button switches I needed for my experimental projects. And, oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't remember what Randy got. He got something small like that, too, but... We killed a good two hours in there. As long as you got something. Yeah, as long as you got something. I did a uh, interview with the Dew Drop In. That oh, yeah. was yeah. Remember we we're talking about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was September twenty seventh, and boy, I had a good time. A lot, you know. I, I was begging for people to show up because I was going to be embarrassed if nobody did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, we had a good group of people there, and they kept me uh, answering questions for an hour. That's good. Oh, we had a blast. It, yeah. It was a lot of fun. There's always a good group of people yeah. hanging out on there anyway. And and you guys who tuned in for that, join us on the Amateur Logic Echo Link Net. It's going to be next Monday, and we'll let you know what date that the is. The 20th. The 20th. Okay. I actually looked it up you before, did. before did. the show. Yeah. Jo- join us on there because, um, you know, there's usually a little time in there if somebody's got a question. Oh, yeah. We we'll always hang around after the net, too. We a little do. while, a few minutes. Yeah. So that's what's been going on with me. What's been going on with you, Tommy? Man, just the same old thing. I've been uh, kind of got a new gig going on with my regular job, and I've uh, been traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, been pretty tied up with that, gone a good bit, and really not too much new going on. And Peter's been mowing the grass. Yeah, so. I've been mowing the grass and uh, also working on my project, which you'll see a little bit of it later. Hi, everybody. No, it's not Leo Laporte. I'm just at his desk and on his ball. It's Bob Heil, and we're here to wish Amateur Logic a great ninth anniversary. George, you and the whole crew over there have done a great job. Keep it up, and we'll be watching. Thank you, Bob. Hanging out with him and Gordo. They're just hard to keep up with, man, I swear. Yeah, they really are. They didn't lead you astray? We can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, 
a project which is not quite completed, but is almost there, and it's basically a balloon project. So here we go. Hello everyone and welcome once again. It's spring here in Melbourne, which means that it's an ideal time of the year to get out and do some things. With that in mind, I've been working on a project. Now, if you've been looking at the Amatologic Facebook page, you'll have noticed that I've been working on a Pico Balloon project. Now, what's a Pico Balloon, you ask? Well, it's an exciting new area of the amateur radio hobby. Essentially, you take a party balloon, you know, the kind with the silver backing, and you attach a small payload of less than 50 grams. The payload typically consists of a small computer, a GPS and a small radio transmitter, typically less than 100 milliwatts. And the transmitter typically transmits on amateur radio frequencies. Now, the idea is you release the balloon up into the sky. It floats up to about 8 kilometers high and then is blown along by the wind. Every 3 to 6 minutes, periodically, it transmits its GPS coordinates as an encoded signal either using APRS or RITI or some other form of encoding. And you receive that back at your home base, and thus you can actually track where the balloon is going over time. Now, about every, say, two weeks or so, I get an email from a colleague here in Melbourne, Andy VK3YT, and typically that email says, oh, I'm releasing a new Pico balloon this uh, weekend. And uh, I and a number of other amateurs are able to actually track that the progress of the balloon as it floats up in whichever direction it's going that particular weekend. Now, Andy's balloons have travelled considerable distances. Some have floated all the way over to New Zealand, and one even made it all the way over to Brazil. It must have wanted to have gone to the uh, the World Cup soccer, I figure. Anyway... With that in mind, I thought, why should Andy have all the fun? So I've decided to put together my own Pico Balloon project. So let's now have a look at the hardware that I've put together. My first bit of hardware is a tiny single board computer, which was designed in Italy. It's called the Arduino Pro Mini, and you can pick these boards up online very, very cheaply. Uh, there are the originals which are available for uh, from Italy, and there are some clones that are available at much cheaper cost. This here is a programming cable with a small programming board, and you connect this to your standalone computer. What happens is you use this cable to send a finished program down to your Arduino, then you remove the cable and apply some power, and the Arduino will start to run the program. It's programmed in a variant of C. Now, the program which I put together using a couple of different libraries which are available online utilizes these two boards. This board here is a small GPS board with a little active antenna on top. It's a Skylab SKM53. When running, it listens out for GPS satellites and it can work out what its latitude and longitude and height above sea level is. This information is periodically sent along these wires at 9600 bits per second. 
that information is received by the Arduino and then the Arduino packages that up with a little bit of text and then utilises this board to send the text as radio teletype. This board here is the AD9850 Direct Digital Synthesizer. Amazingly, this tiny little board is capable of generating a radio signal from anywhere from 0 through to about 40 megs. What happens is, with a little bit of programming, the Arduino can actually generate, using this board, a radio teletype signal. And that's exactly what happens here. The GPS data and some other text is encoded as radio teletype and then periodically transmitted out on 13.600 MHz in the 22 meter band. So let's uh, hook up some power and we'll give you a little bit of a demo. The program that I use to decode the radio teletype is called MixW. It's shareware and it comes from the Ukraine. It's capable of decoding a wide range of digital modes. To use it, all you've got to do is hook up a cable from the audio output of your radio receiver and then run that to the microphone socket on your sound card. You then select the particular mode that you want to use and the program does the rest. So what remains to be done on this project? I simply need to install two simple transistors connected to two digital outputs on the Arduino and modify the software to turn the AD9850 and perhaps the GPS off when they're not being used. This will enable me to conserve power and allow two lithium AAA batteries to last much longer. I've already included a sleep library in the software and I can put the Arduino to sleep for extended periods of time in order to conserve power further. You are probably wondering why I chose to use the frequency 13.600 MHz and what band this is in. If you guess that it's not a ham band, you're quite right. Here in Australia, the ACMA, our government regulator, has set aside a number of frequencies for low power use, and provided you abide by conditions in the rules, you can use these frequencies without any kind of license. For example, I can transmit up to 100 milliwatts in the frequency range 13.553 to 13.567 megahertz, although particular care must be shown not to transmit in specified astronomy-related zones. The low-power frequencies are used for a wide range of purposes, including garage door openers, wireless microphones, and auditory assistance transmitters. 
amateurs will be shocked to learn that one of the frequency bands specified is 3.5 to 3.7 MHz. Yes, that's right, the 80 meter amateur band. However, the maximum transmitter power permitted is just 30 picowatts. You can find details of the frequencies permitted and conditions of use in the radio communications Low Interference Potential Devices, or LIPD, Class License 2000, which is available on the ACMA website. I'm sure other countries have equivalent legislative rules and regulations. To finish this segment, a note of caution. Before undertaking any balloon project, you should consult your government's regulator of controlled airspace and clear what you propose to do with them first. As crazy Russian hacker says, safety is number one priority. Equally, it's a good idea to check with your country's radio communications government authority before using any lower power frequencies in order that you are fully compliant with your country's... That was pretty interesting, Peter. When do you think you're going to launch? Uh, next two months. Uh, I just need to solder in the transistors and run some tests uh, about power usage using a couple of batteries. And uh, the rest just grab a balloon and uh, half fill it with helium and away we go. Yeah, I'm looking cool. forward to it too. Yeah, very cool. So, how how far do you think it's going to go? Put it this way: one of Andy's balloons went to Brazil. Uh, I think uh, uh, this one will. Well, depending on you can get an idea of which ways the, the winds are blowing, and uh, estimate which direction it's going to go in. So, I will probably aim to put it over New Zealand, and I expect uh, we'll be able to track it all the way over to New Zealand. Cool. Well, maybe you can. Uh Fly one over our direction when, when uh, I guess, all the stars line up. Yeah, huh? drop some Vegemite off. Yeah. Well, we've got another uh, greeting here from another one of our friends. George, nine years with Amateur Logic. We're here at the Twit Studios, and happy anniversary. Amateur Logic, nine years with George. And a soldering iron, too. Oh, Gordo, yeah. man. <laughs> Those guys are a lot of fun to hang out with. Well, let's... Uh, Let's see, what do we want to do now? I guess maybe we'll get a message from one of the sponsors who's helped providing the ninth anniversary prizes oh, absolutely. The ICOM IC7200 is the perfect combination of advanced digital features and ease of use. Out of the box, the IC7200's digital filters give you the ability to change filter shape and width without having to buy additional filters. Only ICOM has digital twin passband tuning with dedicated control knobs to easily shift and narrow the IF passband until the interference is gone and you can clearly hear that weak signal. The IC7200 is ruggedly built and compact, perfect for portable operations in the field and also ideal for occupying minimal space in your shack. Only a USB cable is required to connect the IC7200 to a PC instead of a bunch of messy interface cables. Get yours with a unique paint job. IC7200s are now available in Multicam, Digital Camo, Olive Drab, Safety Orange, and even Pink. Only from Gigaparts. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 
535-4442. And our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability. And free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on live chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. Save $50 on any IC7200 with a custom paint job when you use coupon code ALTV7200 by November 30th, 2014. Well, Tommy, what have you got for us this month? Well, we've had some requests from some people about dynamic DNS servers, services and how to get back into your home computer. And it's actually a great time because I've got some things that are going to need this in, coming up in the next few months. So mm-hmm. I, I did a little segment on that. Cool. Well, in the past, you've seen us remote into our home computers to do various things. I think most recently, George used the ICOM RSBA1 software and remoted into his IC7700 to work HF from a hotel room. So in, in the ham environment, there are a lot of applications you may want to do. You, you may want to use uh, VNC and log in and do some PSK31 from remote and or just do some maintenance on your computer. You know, the, the uses are pretty much limitless. To be able to do that, there's a few things we need to understand. You've got an external internet connection at your home, like me. Mine goes through a cable company, so I've got a cable modem there. To to be able to hook up more than one device, I've got a router with my Wi-Fi hotspot all built in. This device right here. I happen to have a Linksys, but I don't really, you know, endorse any certain brand. That just happens to be the one that uh, had the features that I wanted at a decent price at the time. So each one of those devices on the internet has a unique IP address. Uh, four numbers, you know, number, dot, number, dot, number, dot, number. And that's how all the traffic on the internet is routed. Each one of those numbers has a name assigned to it. Well, not, not all of them, but, but quite a few. So amateurlogic.tv, for instance, goes to an IP address. To be able to get to your home network from the outside, you're going to need to know what your IP address is. If you don't know what it is, you're going to have to have a DNS entry somewhere on a service that will resolve to your address. Well, see, the, the, the problem with just using the address is, in, in my case, my cable company gives me a different IP address every 30 days or so. So just when I want to get back in, you know, a, a lot of times they change it. So I found a free service out there. Uh, years ago, it used uh, DineDNS.org. It was great. They changed to a, a paid model, and it's only $25 a year. It's not bad, but I'll, I don't do it that often, and there's still a few free ones out. Uh, I happen to use NoIP.com right now. So let, let's take a look at how to set that up. A little theory behind that, too. When you put in the URL, say I, NoIP.com or AmateurLogic.tv, there's a lookup that happens behind the scenes on your computer that you don't really know about, but it goes out and grabs that address and, and it redirects it. So we're going to need to set up a domain name, give it the IP address, and keep that updated in the future for when it changes. So if you always go to Tommy.com and it goes to a whatever dot 21 address and 
the cable company decides they want to change my address, we need to make sure Tommy.com goes to 22 or whatever the case may be. So let's look at setting up one. I'm going to go through the no IP here just to give you the basics, but whatever service you choose should be very similar. So I've already created an account here. Uh, I'm logged in. We're going to just go in and create uh, a new host. So we're going to go to host redirects here on this one. And I'm going to add one. And I'm just going to call mine my call sign. And I'll just leave this DNS host A record picked. I'm not going to go into a lot of details about this, but I would, I would suggest just leaving that. The web page is smart enough to know the IP address that you come from. And mine just happens to be right there. It's That's correct. If you're unsure, you can go to this web page called whatismyip.com and it'll tell you. So that was your outward facing address. So let's go back over here and check it and it is correct so all we need at this point to do is just click add host so now n5zno.ddns.net goes to my local computer here or actually to my network let's go back and look at something i didn't show you there are some paid ones that you can use but the ones down here under IP freedom, no IP free domains are the ones that that you can use uh, without without a charge. So I, I just took the default one. Now that we've got our domain created, we need to keep it updated. Like I said, my cable company gives me a new IP address every 30 days or so. So I need to run a client on my computer to keep that updated. And I'm I'm not going to install it because they're going to be different from everyone. But if you go to your service, they're, they're right here. This one knows that I'm running a Mac and it's showing me the Mac one. But there's one for Windows. There, there's a lot of them around. So you can always go back in manually and update it if you like. The next issue we need to overcome is now that we've got it here, how do we know which computer to route your traffic from the outside world? So you've got one IP address on the outside I've got quite a few here. I've got my iMac here. I've got this laptop here. I've got another laptop. My son's got a few computers in there. My wife's got an iPad in the other room. They all have different addresses. Um, but I'm just going to be concerned with this one. We, what we're going to need to do is know what the internal IP address is. To get that, just run, bring a command prompt up. And for a Mac or Linux, you can type ifconfig and hit enter, and it'll give you a list of devices and the IP addresses. For Windows, the command is ipconfig. So I'm going to run ifconfig and find the device that I need here and get my address. There it is. My address is 192.168.0.103. And we're going to need to go into our router and do a little configuration there. Now your, your control panel may be a little different than mine. My Linksys has a service available called LinksysSmartWiFi.com. So no matter where I am, I can go to that address, use my login, and I can see the control panel of my specific router and open and close ports. So what we're going to do is set this computer up to be able to be VNC'd into in this instance. And 
VNC uses a certain port, depending on how you configure it. It's uh, 5900 or 5901. I use 5901 here. So we're going to open port 5901. If you're not aware of what a port is, it's similar to a, a frequency. So if you're on uh, HF and you've got uh, one frequency in and they happen to have a weather net going and you scan over a little bit and you hear, you know, some guys rag chewing and so forth, you can kind of consider that akin to a port in a way. There are a group of applications that have standard ports. So, you know, you've got 21, uh, 23 for that used. Well, here, here's a list of a lot of the commonly used ports. Um, you, you'll need to kind of check with the software that you want to use and see which ones you need to open up. So I'm going to go ahead and log into my router. I'm going to go to the security tab on mine. You're, like I said, your control panel may be different, so check your documentation. Apps and gaming, single port forwarding. And I do not have a VNC entry in here at the moment, so let's add one. And I'll call this uh, iMac VNC just for a name. This one I have, it uses 5901 for the port and 5901 again. The the external and internal ports, that's a way that you can kind of mask um, what port you're using from the outside world. Um, I, I would kind of recommend using the standard ones unless you've got a reason to do otherwise. So I'll just leave it. We've got uh, protocols, we've got UDP and TCP. And you need to check with your software or, or do like me and take the easy way out and set up both. Um, TCP has a little more overhead than UDP, so there, there's benefits from using the different protocols. Your software developer you chooses the method they want to use for that, so check with that if you want to be more specific. But generally both will work for, for anything. And we need that internal address we just looked up. So mine's 192.168.0. Dot 103 and just click save and I've already enabled it and I'm good to go because we just opened up a port to the outside world believe it or not there's a whole bunch of people that have malicious intent that scan through a list of IP addresses and they'll scan each port at that IP address and look for vulnerabilities and when you do that, you can request different information about the services that are running. So we're not going to get into a lot of details like that. But just be aware that you are opening up a potential security risk to get to your network from the outside when you do this. I would recommend, highly recommend, enabling that port when you want to get in and then disabling it when you're finished. So just don't leave it just open all the time. It, that's my take on it. You know, use your judgment on, on your situation. So to, to disable it, all we would need to do would be to remote back in, go over to this line, edit, uncheck the enable, and now it's closed off from the outside world, just like we never added that line in the config. Now I can take my laptop when I go out of town enable that port using the the control panel I just showed you use my laptop and use my computer pretty much like I'm sitting here and and then close it when I'm finished that's a very timely subject Tommy because you know I was just using dynamic DNS 
to get back into my HF rig while I was at Pacificon. Yeah, and a, l a lot of people already know how to do it, but there have actually been several people that have asked about how to do it, too. So hopefully some people will find it useful. And, and the ones that didn't, like I said, I've got some segments coming up that are going to require mm -hmm. that. So we'll get that out of the way. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, well, I used to use Dyn DNS, mm -hmm. but when they went to the paid model, um, I, I had to get off of that. And I just bought a new Netgear router. And they've got a deal worked out with no IP so that the router will automatically, you know, you can put in your address in there. And that gear has a deal with no IP so that mine is actually a Netgear address right. that I go to, but it, it's using the no IP service. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And it's all free. Yeah, or, yeah, well, right now. Well, the, mine's, the account I have is free, too, but uh, you just run a client, you know, like I showed in this segment. Mm -hmm. uh, some routers have no IP service built in it, you know, other than Netgear. Just the Linksys one I have doesn't. Yeah. I, I wish it did, but I'm actually going to run a client on my Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Well, let's have one more uh, happy birthday greeting. Hi, this is Randy, K7AGE, wishing a happy ninth anniversary to Amateur Logic. And you can tell there was some other stuff going back in there. Yeah, that was a busy place, wasn't it? It was really busy. There were <laughs> uh, probably, a, it, I don't know how many hams were there. We had a lot of hams there that night. Yeah, uh, yeah I watched that show. It looked like you guys had a good time. Yeah, we really did. Really did. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8 to 170 megahertz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ259 has been updated to the new MFJ259C. All the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz, allowing measurements all the way from the AM broadcast band through the 220 MHz amateur band. Make a wide variety of useful antenna impedance measurements, including coaxial cable loss and distance to an open or short. Primarily designed for analyzing 50-ohm antenna and transmission line systems, the MFJ259C also measures RF impedances between a few ohms and several hundred ohms. It also functions as a signal source and a frequency counter. The MFJ259C gives you a complete picture of your antenna's performance. Read antenna SWR and complex impedance, determine velocity factor, coaxial cable loss in dB, length of coax, and distance to a shorter opening feet. Read SWR, return loss, and reflection coefficient at any frequency simultaneously at a single glance. You can even read inductance and microhenries and capacitance and picofarads at RF frequencies. The large, easy-to-read two-line LC CD screen and side-by-side -side meters clearly display all the information you need. While a lot of new antenna analyzers have appeared in the market recently, none give you the flexibility and wide assortment of RF measurement capabilities the MFJ259C does. And for UHF, the MFJ269C adds 415 to 470 MHz coverage with a characteristic impedance input of 0 to 600 ohms and a 12-bit A to D converter. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Tommy, Peter, and George. Happy ninth anniversary for you guys at Amateur Logic TV and all your viewers. Thank you for such a great show. And there was Ray in the Twit Ham Shack. 
did you see the ghostly reflection uh, in the on the left hand side? Oh, in the transmitter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't catch it. Man, that is a neat old transmitter too. That thing is clean as a whistle. Yeah. I'd like to go out there and see that place sometime. Yeah. You'd enjoy it. You really would. Well, I've got uh, a segment I'm going to pick up where I left off last time. You know, I was building that Arduino antenna switcher, mm-hmm. and I decided, I'm, you know, I'm going to take that thing on to the next level. Last time we got together, I built what I call the Arduino antenna switcher. It's a simple servo controlled by Arduino that turns an antenna switch so I can disconnect my rig from the antenna when the power is off and automatically reconnect it when I turn it on. I wanted this so I can leave the antennas connected when I travel and be able to get back in my rig and have them automatically come on. And I'm happy to report that after a month or so of use, it's working like a champ. The project's still laid out on a proto board, so I'm ready to take it to the next level now. And rather than use a $24 Arduino Uno for this, I just don't feel good about that because I could be using that Uno for something else. What I'm going to build here is a simple circuit that will always be the same and really doesn't need reprogramming. So I'm going to build what I call the Cheap Arduino. Here's the schematic for an Arduino Uno, and you can see there's a fair number of components on there. Not an outstanding number, but there's a lot of these components that we're just not going to need for a scaled-down operation like this. This is an Arduino Uno clone that just has a basic functionality to do the things you'd normally do with an Arduino, but has been stripped down so it only has the components necessary for that. It will not connect to a computer because I've left that out. You can see I've got the ATmega 328P chip with the bootloader installed on it. This is the same chip that the Arduino Uno uses. Now, you can buy that chip, but when you do, make sure that you get one that's already been programmed with the bootloader. You can kind of think of this as the operating system for the chip. There's got to be some basic instructions for it so that it knows it's an Arduino. In the schematic here, the pins aren't really lined up in numerical order. You can see pin 1 is here, and then we jump down to 14, 15, 16, and so on. So keep that in mind as we look at it. Let's first take a look at the power supply. We can put in between 6 and 12 volts into the unit, and we've got an LM7805 5-volt regulator here. That's the only other active component in the circuit. On the input, we've got a 10 microfarad capacitor just to filter out any noise that might be coming down our power supply line. Pin 2 is ground, and pin 3 is our plus 5 volts out. And we've got a couple capacitors on the output here to filter out any noise that might be coming out of the regulator. We have a 0.1 microfarad that's used to filter out high-frequency noises, and a 10 microfarad that would be used to filter out lower frequencies. Now, the value of these two larger capacitors here may need to be changed. I think 10 microfarads will work, but if I find out that it's noisy, I'll probably go to something like, say, a 47 microfarad. So we'll start out by looking at the ground here, coming off of pin 2. To draw this schematic, I'm using the Express SCH program, a program that comes with Express PCB, which is from the PC board makers. 
Now, let me say, just because wires are crossing each other does not mean that they're connected in this program. Back down on the ground here, we'll follow it on out, and we'll see we're going to pin 8, which is ground on the chip, and we're also going to pin 22, which is ground. If we follow this line out, we'll see that I put a ground up here on J3 pin 7, and just for good measure, I put three more grounds up here on J4. I've installed a connector with just three plus five taps and three ground taps on it. If we follow out the positive voltage, we'll see that it goes up here and goes into AREF, pin 21. If we follow it out the other direction, we'll see it goes up here on the top of the chip to pin 7 and 20, which is VCC and AVCC. There's also a 10K ohm resistor connected from that plus 5 down to pin 1, which is the reset pin on the Arduino chip. We've got a switch out here, and the other side of this switch is connected to ground. The reason for having the resistor is so that this pin is normally held high. If we push the switch, it goes low, and the Arduino reboots. As the ground lead before, I also have the plus 5 coming up here to a spare pin, on J3 and to three pins up here on J4 just for our utility purposes. The ATmega328P chip has an oscillator built into it. However, we're going to stick with the way that the Arduino does it and use a 16 megahertz crystal. That's because I'm going to be controlling the servo and I want those timing pulses to be accurate. I might could get by with the internal oscillator, but the crystal's cheap enough. The crystal connects to pins 9 and 10, and there's a couple of 22 picofarad capacitors here as well. Now, if you're kind of following here on the schematic, you'll see that there's very few components here. There's the AT Mega chip, there's our power supply regulator, and then there's our crystal oscillator circuit here, and that's it. We're leaving out a number of components that are on an Arduino Uno. We're not putting in the USB or serial ports on here for programming. My idea is that since this is going to be more or less a permanent circuit, I'll take the AT Mega chip and plug it into my Arduino Uno, program it there, then pull it out and stick it into the circuit that I'm building. Because I won't need to be changing the programming, this is a permanent installation. Pins 14 through 19 are digital I.O. pins, and I've connected them over here to J3. Pins 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 11, 12, and 13 are also digital I.O. pins, and I've run them down here to J2. There's one set of pins left here, pins 23 through 28. Those are analog inputs, and I ran them up here to J1. And that's it, a very simple little schematic. One set of pins here for analog We've got another set that's got plus 5 and ground, and we've got a couple here for digital I.O. And you can do just about anything with this that you could do with a standard Arduino Uno, except you don't have the serial or USB input and output on it, which means you can't connect it to a computer. It's just a standalone circuit, which is perfect for what I want to do here. There are a few components that we'll need to add here just for this specific circuit that we're building. What we're going to do is add in some pins here for our servo, and they're going to connect to digital I.O. pin 9 and plus 5 and ground. And we'll put a little header on the board 
to plug our servo into, and we're going to need our relay circuit that connects to our rig. The contacts are connected to pins D6 and D4, and we've got 10K ohm pull-down resistors here to hold these contacts normally at ground. And when we switch the relay, we'll be putting one or the other high. The coil of the relay is connected to our rig to the accessory port ground and accessory switched plus 12, which has 12 volts on it when the rig is turned on. We also put a diode across it here to suppress transients. And we're also showing that I'm building a proto area here on our board. I'll need plus 5 and ground for that. And that's all there is to our schematic. And now for parts, we'll need an ATmega 328P with a bootloader, a 28-pin dip socket if we don't want to solder the chip directly to the board, and we don't want to do that because we'll be taking the chip in and out if we need to program it, an LM7805 5-volt regulator, a 10K ohm 1-8th watt resistor, a single-pole single-throw push-button switch, a 16 megahertz crystal, two 22 picofarad 10-volt capacitors, two 10 microfarad 16-volt capacitors, one 0.1 microfarad 10-volt capacitor, some type of PC board or perf board or whatever you want to build the circuit on, and some assorted headers and connectors, whatever you want to use for the I.O. pins. Now these capacitors could be a little higher voltage if you want. Doesn't really matter as long as they're within reason. So now, how do I get this onto a PC board? I've made boards myself before, and I've also had some made by board houses, but I've never used Express PCB, and I think I'm going to use that for this project. So we'll be talking about that in the future. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So you got made your own Arduino, yeah. essentially? Well, essentially, I mean, I, I've got all the parts. I haven't actually made it yet. I've got to do a PC board now. And, you know, there are several ways I could do that. I could just use perf board and put it on there. Or I could try burning a board myself. Or I could use a board house. And I've never used Express PCB before. And I'm, I'm going to use them for this. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to burn some of these, and, and we're going to talk about that in the future. I'm going to show you the layout for the schematic and everything. It's not the cheapest way to go, yeah. but I've never used them before, and I just wanted to go through that process. And, well, it would be interesting know. to see the quality of the boards you get back to. Yeah, so. yeah, it will. Oh, and yeah, I'm curious to know, George, whether you think the power consumption will drop as a result of taking off all those extra co components? Oh, yeah, I believe it will, yeah. I'm not sure by how much, but yeah, it should drop some. Cool. Uh, also, uh, Gigaparts may be offering this as a kit, the, oh. the whole antenna servo project kit. Oh, that's not, that'd be good. Yeah. So uh, well, they're, they're pretty good about putting those kits together for us. It yeah. makes it easy for people to go yeah. get all the parts together. Yeah, you won't have to hunt around to find it, and you know, it'll be the same same parts that I'm yeah. using. Shipping from one place. Yeah, that's usually the the worst thing. If you got to go different places and you got a, a minimum yeah. amount for shipping, you got ten dollars shipping here, ten dollars shipping over there. You know, it kind of makes it kind of expensive to do some projects. It does. It kind of adds it on up. Well, we got one more happy birthday greeting here, or is it happy anniversary? Happy ninth anniversary, George, Tommy, Peter. You guys are on your way to ten years of fame and. Well, no fortune, but... <laughs> <laughs> but way to go. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I've been watching you for about five years now. And that was Mike Ferreira. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, I know Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I met him out at Dayton yeah. a couple times. He's a great guy. Yeah, he kind of heads up the 40-meter net for Ham Nation every week, and yeah. we've, we've met him several times now. Yeah, he usually got a big clove of garlic around his neck. Yeah. I guess you call that a clove. I don't know. Yeah, big, yeah. Gilroy, where he leaves, uh, lives, is known for garlic. Yeah. And I, I probably shouldn't tell this, but he was at Pacificon, too, and... Uh, Randy was there, and Randy set up a little antenna out on his balcony so he could work PSK. And Mike wanted to get on the air, too. And I I didn't see it, but I heard him talking about it. Uh, he was on, I think, the 12th floor, and the parking garage was just across from him over there. He, he strung out a 40-meter dipole with a 100-foot <laughs> rope tied it to the parking garage and, and operated. Awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. It was pretty cool. We were going to try to do a QSO, but I had left my antenna here on my rig switched on 80 meters, and he couldn't do 80 on that antenna. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, I've been traveling every week with my job, and, and unfortunately the hotels I've been staying at don't have a balcony. Yeah. So it kind of makes it tough to, to do anything. So I've been trying to come up with some, some different hand projects to do while I'm traveling. But, but that's a great idea. Yeah, that is. 2014 marks the 50th anniversary of ICOM Incorporated. To celebrate this milestone year, ICOM is releasing two limited edition radios, the IC7850 HF 50 MHz transceiver and a special ID51A VHF UHF dual band handheld. These models are limited in quality and include innovative features that you can only expect from ICOM. The IC7850 is the pinnacle of HF perfection. There will only be 150 units available worldwide. This limited edition radio has vibrant gold accents and each unit will have a 50th anniversary limited edition plate. Features include a 1.2 kilohertz optimized roofing filter for improved in-band adjacent signal performance and excellent dynamic range. A new local oscillator design with a CN ratio that excels beyond the competitors and creates a new benchmark for phase noise with an amazing minus 150 dBc slash hertz at 10 kilohertz offset and 140 dBc slash hertz even at 1 kilohertz offsets. There are also several new scope enhancements such as an improved spectrum scope for faster sweep speed and better accuracy, a dual scope function to simultaneously see activities in both receivers, a high resolution spectrum scope screen, and enhanced mouse operation for the spectrum scope. The ID51A unlocks the power of D-Star from the palm of your hand. Only 5,000 units are available worldwide. This radio will feature the words 50th anniversary on the front interface. It comes in blue, green, red, white, and black limited edition colors. The special edition features include faster data transfer in DV mode, RSMS1A Android app compatibility, additional D-plus reflector link commands, other enhanced digital features include DV and FM repeater search, and DPR functions and a long antenna supplied for optimal receive performance. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM's 50th anniversary limited edition IC7850 and ID51A. That's some really sweet looking handy talkies, Tommy. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. Yeah. That's nice. He had all the colors there. Yeah, I need a, I need, everybody knows I'm an Alabama fan. I need one of the red ones with an yeah. A on it. Well, I would take one of the blue ones. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can get a deal on a six-pack or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the ninth anniversary. I guess we need a six-pack. Yeah, and 
We don't have any alcohol. All I've got is uh, half a bottle of wine over here left from New Year's. And Did it turn into vinegar yet? I don't know. I hadn't opened it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I've been out of town, but it, we should have had a, a glass of champagne or something. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that at Christmas. Yeah. You got champagne over there, Peter? Uh, no, I'm not much of a drinker, to be brutally honest, but, uh, you know... Uh, uh, it's been uh, a great, well, seven years for me, but nine years for you guys. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm surprised how quickly time has flown. I'm not much of a drinker either. Probably the last thing I had to sip on the drink was uh, two years ago at the other an- at the eighth anniversary, uh, seventh anniversary. The seventh? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was two years ago. I'm not much one either. I'll, I'll drink a beer with somebody every now and then, but... Yeah. That's, that's about it. I kind of, I don't know, guess I got older and just can't take it anymore. Yeah. I'm trying to hang on to what few brain cells I still have. Yeah. I need every single one of them. Well, we can celebrate, though, by clearing the bench here. Yeah. Yeah. Some, somebody's going to get some good gear, man. Yeah. And we're we're about to do a drawing here. Well, tell us about that radio real quick, Tommy. Well, this is the coveted by me <laughs> IC7100 uh HF D star uh 70 centimeters 2 meter mm-hmm. rig uh wonderful rig man touch screen uh, all band all mode all band all mode everything to everybody <laughs> <laughs> now it's it's a sweet rig I love this thing and uh anyway somebody's going to get on D star HF or whatever yeah I talked with several people about those when I was in Pacific Island and uh, one guy there was saying, I don't have much room on my desk, but, you know, this will fit. And I said, well, it'll, it'll make a fine bass radio. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know? the audio is fantastic on yeah. it. And mm-hmm. I, I hear them on the air every single day. Yeah, and a lot of people are using them. Well, we're going to need some antennas, of course, and, you know, you need to get you one of these, Tommy. I, I got one. Wayne's got one now, although it took him a year. Well, I had one up until today. Well, you don't have it anymore. <laughs> this one's gone now. Yeah, I did, I did not put it on my truck. This is a little Tar Heel HD here. There's also a little Tar Heel 2 that looks exactly like it. It's just a different size of coil in here. The little Tar Heel HD covers 40 meters up through 6, and the little Tar Heel 2 covers 80 meters through 6. And this is being supplied by MFJ because they're a distributor for Tar Heel. What's the power rating on that? The the HD version here, I believe, is good uh, 500 watts. Yeah, so I think so. You could, so. you could run an amplifier. Now, the little Tar Heel 2, physically the same size, but it adds 80 meters, so they had to make the coal a little bit smaller in there, so it'll handle 200 watts. And that's, that's the one that I've got. Mm-hmm. But a, a great antenna. I can't say enough good things about these Tar Heels because I, I really love mine. I've had it a little over a year now. Not a moment's trouble out of it. It's heavy built, uh, real, you know, commercial grade motor inside of it. And boy, it's a lot better than pulling off the road and swapping out whips or tapping a jumper or. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, whatever you rain. need to do for that. And of course, you, you know, you're going to need some way. To control that, it comes with a little, you know, push button or toggle switch where you can manually raise it up and down and watch the SWR on your rig. But we're going to give you here the MFJ, uh, well, actually it's a Maritron, the SDC-104 screwdriver antenna controller. Uh, it'll read the frequency of your transceiver 
and automatically adjusts the antenna to the transceiver's frequency, and it connects with any Alcraft, Kenwood, or Yazoo rig that has RS-232 or ICOM rigs with IVC, or excuse me, ICOM rigs with CIV or Yazoo rigs with TTL. And it makes it a convenient way to tune the antenna. You go through and you get your presets, and once you've done that, it's it's just automatic, so you don't have to watch the SWR every time you want nice. to tune it. And we're going to need some more antennas, too, so we've got some from Comet, and it is the Comet CA2X4SR. It's a broadband VHF UHF antenna designed for voice communications, not only on ham radio, but being broadband, it also covers land mobile and FRS frequencies. The amateur radio community works with a lot of served agencies, and, you know, sometimes you may need to get on those frequencies, and here's a broadband antenna that will help you cover that. It's got a great gain, 3.8 dBi gain on 2 meters and 6.2 dBi on 70 centimeters, and it'll handle 150 watts peak. But we're going to need to mount these things as well. So we've got the CP5M, which is a universal adjustable lip mount with 16 feet, 6 inches of deluxe cable, and a SO239 PL259 connector. Very good low-loss cable on that antenna mount. And that'll work on, on a lot of things. Truck lids, truck doors, yeah. uh, SUV. Tailgates. Tailgates. A lot of, lot of things. Yeah. Very, very uh, versatile mount. Yeah. Van rear doors, hood lips. And then to mount this one right here, boot, the little boot lip. Boot lip. Yeah, if you're down under, boot lip. To mount this one, we're going to need something a little bit heavier. So for the little Tar Heel, Common and Giga Parts are giving us an HD5 3H24 heavy duty lip mount with a 3H24 threaded socket to accept small screwdriver antennas like this and a lot more. So we want to thank from the bottom of our hearts. ICOM America, MFJ, supplying the little Tar Hill here, and Comet and Gigaparts for getting together the Comet antennas and the mounts to put all this package together. Somebody's, what did you say, a really happy Halloween? Yeah, they're going to be just in time for the Halloween net. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but thanks to all you guys that uh, support Amateur Logic, uh, the, the vendors that supplied all these parts to make the uh, contest possible. Yeah, because uh, you know if if Tommy and Peter and I were getting together something for a giveaway here, we might could scrape up enough to do a crystal radio or something. Oh, get one of these. Yeah, we're still <laughs> going to have to do something with those. Yeah, the gold PL two fifty nines. Well, let's see who's going to win, Tommy. All right. Okay, I'm going to go to random.org. which is the random number generator that we use for all contest entries. And I'm going to enter in from one to the number of emails that we actually received here and click generate. Number 1360. And here's our lucky winner, Tommy. It's got I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his last name right. Maybe he won't be mad if we're giving him all this stuff. Yeah, maybe that'll probably make it better. Uh, Scott Castangue, KC7UOC. And where is he from? He is from, good question, he's from Roy Washington. And he's an extra. All right. Good morning, George. This is Scott. 
Hi, Scott. Sorry to disturb you. That's okay, sir. How are things in Washington? Going good. I enjoyed your episode about ICOM. Yeah, that was right near you there. Yeah, it's a couple of couple hours north of me. Well, speaking of ICOM, how would you like an IC7100, a little Tar Heel HP, an Ameritron SDC-104 screwdriver antenna tuner, and a Comet CA-2 before SR VHF UHF antenna? I think I need to find something, a car to put that into. Sounds like you do. <laughs> <laughs> would you take it anyway? I think I could probably find something to do with that. Well, congratulations. You're the winner of our ninth anniversary contest. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I just wanted to call you here and congratulate you and make sure that I had the right guy. Yep, you do. KC7, you will see. Well, Scott, thanks for watching Amateur Logic and for participating in our contest. Well, thank you, sir. I enjoy the information you guys provide to me because... I'm more of a operations type of guy because I'm a 911 dispatcher, so it helps me understand the electronics side of the world, which I'm trying to learn better and stuff, so it helps me quite a bit. Well, glad we could help. Do a good job, sir. Well, 73, Scott. 73, George. Thank you very much. Congratulations, Scott. You've got some great Halloween treats coming here. Yep, so hopefully we're going to catch you on that Halloween that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, if we can figure <laughs> out where it is. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you're going to really enjoy all this good stuff. Yeah, congratulations, and thanks to everyone who entered the contest. It's been a lot of fun, and, you know, hey, let's do it again sometime. How about next year? You know what? We might even do one before that. It's possible. You never know. So, anyway, thanks again to everybody for entering, and especially thank you for the sponsors for supplying yes. all these cool gifts. Yeah, ICOM, Gigaparts, MFJ, and Comet. And the uh, the little Tar Heel from MFJ. Second place winner is going to get an Amateur Logic polo, polo shirt, shirt. Mm-hmm. from our uh, swag store. Yeah, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. Yep, we'll generate a number for that. So you'll be looking good on the golf course. Yep. <laughs> and in the polo, what, what do you play polo? polo on a yeah. horse. On a horse. Good on the horse, too. Number 68 gets a polo shirt. It's Gary Nachman, K9JN. He's extra class, and he's from Illinois, and he's going to win the Amateur Logic polo shirt. Congratulations, uh, Gary. Gary, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. One more number, 647, AD0FL, and that's David Alsop, and he's in Missouri. All right. So that means we'll have another one of these sporty amateur logic t-shirts running around missouri ham fest all right maybe i'll see them at the springfield ham fest maybe so you going this year thinking about it huh. that'd be cool it's, it's a nice little ham fest yeah well you probably con- see bob there yeah probably so mm-hmm. anyway congrats david congrats it's been a great nine years we thoroughly enjoyed it and Really appreciate everyone hanging with us. Thanks for hanging with us uh, all these years. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun bringing these segments and uh, uh, putting things together for you. What do you say we do another nine, Tommy? Let's do it. At least nine. At least nine. For the tenth year, you know, we talked about making a trip down to St. Peter. So maybe if we can line up somehow, we can work that out. Yeah, if we can can find us uh, sponsors for that or something. Something. We'll go down under. But that'd, that'd be fun. So Might who be. knows what will happen next year? Yeah, who knows? A- any respect, it's going to be a special show for the 10th. And, you know, we're hoping to kick it up a notch here during the 10th year. So yeah. uh, y'all be on the lookout for that. And 
you never know what you're going to see. We've got some good things in mind here. Yeah, yeah, we got some things we're working on, and uh, every year we try to, to progress, and, and this coming year should be no different. Yep. So, hey, thanks for being here. We really appreciate you all watching, and congratulations on our contest winners. 73, guys. We'll see you next month. 73. 73s. Let me hit that button again, Tommy. And nothing happened. Come on, what's up? Tommy, Peter, and George, happy ninth anniversary. I'm looking forward to Tommy humming the theme song. <laughs> Ta da! Yeah. That could be a problem. Okay. Ooh, wow. Did I clear your sinuses? <laughs> yeah. That's not working, so. Oh, man. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. This is not a good night. Get back to that Arduino. You remember I was playing with that antenna switcher? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty popular. Yeah, so I'm wanting to take that project to the next level. Do mine? Yep. Shouldn't we have introduced mine before we introduced yours? Um, yeah. I'm, uh, actually, we should have, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, you know, I'm getting kind of stir crazy now. I can play your video. Instead. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up since three thirty. This guy sent us his call letters, but inside, instead of having his class of license and the contact information, yeah. it just says sent from my iPhone.